Welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I am thrilled to welcome to the studio Emily Cohen, who is the executive director of KHOL. And if KHOL sounds familiar to you, that's our radio station. This is where we broadcast every Sunday morning. Emily, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. We've been talking about doing this for a long time. Years. Years. Well, and we're not just randomly talking about let's chat about an opera because you have a little bit of opera in your background. That's right. For about a decade before moving to Jackson, I was a supernumerary with the Washington National Opera in D.C. Wow. Now you just need to explain what a supernumerary is briefly. And then we're going to bow out and listen to a little bit of Rossini's magnificent overture for the opera, which we will also mention. Well, the short of it is that a supernumerary is basically an extra, a character actor on stage helping to create the scene. So you're just human set dressing? You also help the story move along, help right? Help the story move along, but human props, basically. <laughs> All right. It's more or less, you know, in an opera, there's the, the principals, the five or six or seven mm. lead singers. Then often there's a chorus. And then the other people on stage are the supernumeraries. They help fill in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. We've all seen them, but maybe don't know the name. It's, it's an interesting name. Well, let's introduce this opera. It is by Rossini, and this is one where you were a supernumerary. Yes, it was actually my very first opera in 2006, L'Italiana in Algeria. The Italian Girl or the Italian Woman in Algiers. All right, let's listen to some of this magnificent overture. Thank you. 
Space Opera for Everyone. And that was Rossini's overture to L'Italiana in Algeri, the Italian girl, the Italian woman in Algiers. And with me today is Emily Cohen's former supernumerary. Yes. <laughs> it was a past life that was very different from my life here in Wyoming. Yes. Yes, playing a, a woman in a harem is uh, a little different from what you do day to day now. <laughs> yes, my very first role was in a harem on stage at the Kennedy Center. Unbelievable. Wow. And how did you find yourself doing that? Well, this was back in 2006, and a friend of a friend was the casting director for the supernumeraries, the extras at the Washington National Opera. So they have a casting director just for those oh, people yes. who don't sing and do dancers count as supernumeraries or they're their own category? They're their own category. The chorus is their own category. Yeah. And each role on stage has a whole different set of directors and people assisting and choreographers. Fascinating. Because there is the overall director who has the vision, but then you need people to... To manage each of the different roles within that. Right. Because an opera like this, particularly with a large chorus and... Supernumerary, there's a lot of people on stage. Dozens at any given time. And the chorus could be 30 or 40 people. You could have maybe a dozen or so supernumeraries on stage, plus you have the principal singers. Yeah, that's, I mean, you need air traffic control. <laughs> it is like that behind stage. You have multiple stage managers telling you what to do, when to go on stage, directing you. I mean, that isn't any production, but. An opera is just on another scale. Yeah, it's just the volume of, of everything, sets, musicians. Yeah, and that is one of the, I think, underappreciated things about opera is it's bringing together all these forms of art, dance, music, acting, all of that together in one place. And this opera, I think, does that particularly well. Well, that's part of what makes opera so powerful and so moving and such a joy to experience. And we're just, we're an audio medium right now. We're just talking about it and listening to some music, but opera is also, I mean, opera is meant to be seen. Absolutely. And visually, it is so spectacular because imagine this many people on stage in this grand theater. Yes. And the, the different interpretations that directors and producers will have for any particular production. It's, I had the opportunity to watch two different productions of this before we sat down to talk about it, and they were entirely different. And one clearly was much more expensive than the other in terms of costumes and set design, but also it can affect the way you experience the whole story, the way that the director interprets the visual aspects. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was in La Boheme one time, and it was set in 1920s Paris. Oh. So originally, you know, this was in the late 1800s was when it was written. Right. Different opera, obviously, than what we're talking about today. But it just changed the feel. And it gives you an appreciation that some of these stories are timeless and that they do apply to different eras. They, they absolutely do. We're, we will talk a little bit about the historical time period when this is written. This opera... The Italian Woman, The Italian Girl in Algiers, premiered in 1813. And it's set, I mean, less than a decade earlier when it premieres in 1813. So it, it, it'll feel surprising as we talk about some of the things that are going on, because this is a, what do they call it, a drama giocosa, a, a drama with jokes, or oftentimes it's referred to as one of the buffa operas. It is definitely comic 
But there's some very serious elements as well. Yeah, there's elements about empowerment. I think that's a surprising element is female empowerment in this. Yes. And we'll touch upon that a little bit later. Yes, but well, at least she's in the title, right? Yes. <laughs> not, not named, but she's in the title, the Italian woman. She dominates for sure. Absolutely. And it's unexpected. It's not what you would imagine for that time period. No. Well, how about if we introduce some of our characters, the ones that we first see on stage? Yeah, well, the, the first character we see is Elvira, Elvira, and she is the wife of Mustafa, and Mustafa is the, the king, the sultan of uh, Algeria. Right. He's, the, he's technically referred to as the Bey of Algeria, which is like a, a provincial governor within the Ottoman Empire. So he's part of the Ottoman Empire, but he's got a lot of independence to rule Algeria. He's the he's the guy in charge. Mm. And he has his own staff and his own harem. Well, I mean, if you're going to be the top dog in that society, of course you're you're going to have a harem. And he's he is the most, I would say, the most buffa of the the most comical of all the characters, although there's sometimes some competition there. But he is entirely a a character who's there for laughs. It's an interesting contrast to the fact that he really is this fellow who's in charge and has life and death authority over people. He even threatens to impale people, but that never seems completely threatening. He even wants to get rid of his wife. Yeah. yeah. He's tired of his wife. He's tired of his harem. Right. So in this opening scene, we meet Elvira and her, well, it's honestly, it's her slave and confidant, although she, she kind of comes off like her lady's maid, the woman who's just always there helping her. She certainly doesn't treat her harshly, as you would imagine, in a master-slave situation. And we also have the chorus of the eunuchs. The eunuchs, that's such a funny concept, right? I mean, it's basically the, the castrati. Right, except it's tenors and basses in this particular <laughs> chorus. <laughs> it is, I mean, they were, as a eunuch, castrati is, uh, is part of the job definition, but you had to have eunuchs if you had a harem. And that was all over the Ottoman Empire. So keep the women... Uh subdued, but don't do anything inappropriate with them. Right. That's a piece of it that you, that you can't, you know, you will not be a threat to the man whose harem it is. But it's also an interesting political element to have eunuchs because these are people who have no fa- will have no family. They will have no children. They will not be passing anything on. And the men who were eunuchs in the Ottoman Empire were often elevated to very high positions because they weren't politically threatening. They weren't trying to build their own power base. And they could be very good. I mean, this is just a historical tidbit that they could be very good people to have work for a powerful man in charge. How did one become and assume this role? Oh, that's interesting. You were sought. I mean, oftentimes these were not Muslims in the Ottoman Empire. That's the dominant religion. And oftentimes they were from elsewhere. Some of them even would be former slaves, but some were Muslims of very poor families. Again, you're, you're pulled away from any other conflicting loyalties and elevated because to work and live in the palace of the, well, either the sultan or the bey, the guy in charge locally, you're going to have a much better life, even though you've lost something personal. <laughs> I mean, you, you are elevated and your family is glad to give you that opportunity in some cases. I mean, it's, it's a real loss, but it's also a gain for that individual. I mean, it sounds contradictory and it doesn't make a lot of sense to modern sensibilities, but in a very authoritarian regime, 
becoming a eunuch could actually be a way to elevate your social standing, even though it's not something you could pass along. Give you security in a way that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, that's a, it's a fascinating, we could spend two hours talking about that alone, but let's listen to this chorus of eunuchs. And they're telling us a little bit about the lot of women, because at the same time, Elvira is commiserating with Zulma, her lady's maid, about the situation that her husband doesn't desire her anymore. Yeah, the eunuchs are singing, banish those sad expressions, do not bemoan your fate. Here, the women are born only to suffer. Not such a great fate. No, but a nice way to open this opera where maybe it's going to change a little bit. Castrati and the eunuchs are not the same? No, they are not. Well, different periods of time, different geographical regions. I mean, their emasculation, their development and inability to father children is the same. However, the eunuchs were created with a whole different job in mind. And in this opera, you know, when we think of Castrati, we think of a higher voice. But in this opera, the eunuchs actually have a deeper, lower voice. Well, we've got tenors and basses in the eunuch chorus. I mean, there's also the castrati were generally surgically altered at a very young age, so their voice would never change. And the castrati were literally created to be singers. And it was, it was a bet that was placed by the families. Again, social elevation could come from this horrific practice. And it really, it really started in the church in Europe when women were banned from singing and they wanted those high voices to complement the entire majesty that church music could be. So the castrati were created for singing in the church, then they're adopted into opera, banned at various points, but it's the, the eunuchs are just a different, it's a different reason for creation and might be at a different age as well. And doesn't really apply here except for this one fact in common about their yes, exactly. emasculation. Exactly. Well, and because we've heard a little bit of the singing now, we should just mention that this is from the bel canto period, which is the early 19th century. Rossini is one of our great bel canto masters, as is Bellini, as is Donizetti. But Rossini is, I mean, he's, he's the oldest of them 
And he's one that is even referenced by somebody curmudgeonly as Wagner, as, as someone he appreciates what Rossini did to move music forward. Rossini in the bel canto period, like speaking of the castrati, these were a, it was a dying breed at this point. And for instance, we have no castrati roles in this particular opera. The men are either tenors or basses, even in this Unix chorus. When I think about bel canto, I think about a beautiful tenor. Mm. And the one tenor that comes to mind for me is Juan Diego Flores, who played mm. Lindoro in this opera. And we're actually going to meet him next. Uh, and I'll just say a few words about Juan Diego Flores. He's a Peruvian tenor, and his voice is just sweet and buttery. And some of the acrobatics that he has to do in this opera yes. are spectacular. Yes, the acrobatic singer is not limited to tenors. It's You'll hear the soprano doing it. Our lead female is actually... A mezzo-soprano, originally Rossini called for a contralto, which is an even lower voice range, but lots of mezzo-sopranos today take it. But everyone who is a solo singer does perform these vocal acrobatics, vocal embellishments, because most often in the, the songs, as opposed to the recitatives, in the songs, there's repetition. So there's you, you say the phrase once, you say it again, embellish it. And then you say it a third time often and finish it off. And it's exquisite and amazing and lots of fun. But let's meet Lindoro, our male lead, and we'll tell you a little bit more about his character in a sec. Un 
This is Opera for Everyone, and we are listening to Rossini's The Italian Girl in Algiers. And I'm here with Emily Cohen, executive director of our beloved KHOL and former performer on the opera stage. In this very opera. Amazing, amazing. I'm so excited that you're here to talk about this. And this aria that we just heard is one of my favorite. It is Languir per una bella, to languish, to pine for a bella, a beautiful girl. And here we have Linduro talking about his love for Isabella, who we have not yet met. Linduro is an Italian sailor who's been shipwrecked. And he is longing for his true love, Isabella. And he's singing about his love for her, that perhaps the time will come when he will be reunited with his love and he can only think about his beloved. And he's not just been shipwrecked, but he's been enslaved. Right. Mustafa's men, his army, has found him and they have brought him back to Algiers and they are enslaving him. And we're going to find out, actually, Mustafa has some some odd tricks, a, a love triangle of sorts up his sleeve. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to speak a little bit about this is a serious element that's being presented almost comically or just as a random plot point. But this was a real issue in the Mediterranean area in the early 19th century. In fact, in the United States, Thomas Jefferson launched the first American war post-War of Independence to get these Barbary pirates, as they were called, these pirates that terrorized shipping and other opposing armed men in the sea. And so it was not unusual for various European and American sailors to be captured and enslaved, or in many cases, they were ransomed. It was a way of earning money. I mean, there's modern elements of that that happen still. But to me, it's such an interesting thing to make this a part of a buffa storytelling when it's really still an ongoing problem very close to home for the Italians. And Mustafa's approach to this, though, is the buffa part of it. That's right. So Linduro was enslaved, but Mustafa said he wanted Linduro to marry Mustafa's wife. Yes. Elvira. Yes. Remember, Mustafa is tired of his wife. Yes. He's tired of his harem. He doesn't know how to get rid of his wife. But yet here is this Italian sailor who's been shipwrecked and now enslaved. Yeah. And here is his plan to marry, have his wife marry Lindoro so that he doesn't have to deal with her. It's fascinating. I mean, honestly, any Ottoman ruler of any rank could always get rid of a woman if he wanted to. Not a problem. But in the conceit of this opera, he has to marry her off to someone else, which is just a fascinating. I mean, that's comical right there. Before he even decides this, he has an encounter with the the man who's the head of the pirates. He's he's really more of a privateer, I would say. He's yeah, they're pirates or they the corsairs, the Algerian corsairs here. He's the head. He's like the military head, but he's he's always kind of hanging around at this point. But he's probably the guy who captured Lindoro in the first place. But Mustafa wants what he wants, and he says, "Listen, Ali, you need to find me." an Italian girl, because I've heard that Italian girls, you know, kind of spicy. They've got a little bit of uh, 
attractiveness because they are not quite as compliant as the women that I'm used to. If you found me an Italian girl, she would be so much more interesting than my wife. And I'll get rid of her by marrying her off to Lindoro. Mustafa's looking for a challenge, a difficult woman. Yeah, be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Well, Lindoro, who has just been pining for his lost love, his Italian woman, will it surprise anyone to know that it might, in fact, be the same women in both cases here that Mustafa is going to end up encountering and the one that Lindoro is pining for? Uh, How does Lindora take this proposition, which Mustafa thinks is very generous of him to give him this beautiful young woman? Well, they're describing what they're each looking for. In many ways, they have the same vision, a beautiful woman with dark hair and plump cheeks and a beautiful face. And I think Lindoro is open to this because he sees it as a way out of his predicament. Mustafa says, not only do you get to marry her, I'll put you on a ship and you can go back to Italy. And that's truly what Lindora wants. He's like, okay, I'll accompany her to Italy. That'll be fine. But I think we need to listen to a little bit of this encounter between these two men, Lindoro and Mustafa, and just enjoy Rossini's beautiful magic that he works with the, the rhythm and the voices. And it's just fun. They're going back and forth talking about the traits that they adore in women. Oh, 
This is Opera for Everyone, and that was Mustafa and his slave, Lindoro, singing together. And interestingly, Mustafa is trying to cajole his slave into accepting his wife to become Lindoro's wife. Fascinating. And Lindoro is going along with it. Because he sees it as his ticket home to Italy. But could we stop for a minute and just talk about the style of that song that Rossini gave us? That's magnificent. Magnificent. It's just lush and beautiful and acrobatic. It is, uh, I mean, it's a patter song for sure, but it is, what a patter song. I, I can't imagine how agile your mouth has to be to pull that off both of them as they're going and the orchestra's working like mad also this is a trait of rossini it absolutely is and it shows up in lots of his op- his buffa operas if you've listened to our tenorentola for example patter songs abound and it is a it is a buffa technique it's comic but it's delightful it's delightful I'd like to mention just a little bit more by way of background with Rossini. He is this master of the bel canto style, but fascinatingly, even though he lived from 1792 to 1868, he stops writing operas at age 37. No more operas written at all after age 37. And he doesn't write any music at all between age 40 and 50 and after age 50. Just little snatches, either religious songs or songs. And a lot of people at the time criticized him because he he moves to Paris and enjoys quite a nice life there with visitors and things. But it's it's actually believed that he suffered from debilitating mental illness at the time, which sapped his powers and his ability to pursue his beloved art. But also, when Rossini was working... Up through age 37, he worked so hard. He was producing at least two operas a year, but lots of operas. It's not like he had six months to write them. Well, this opera was written in less than a month, and he was only 21 when he wrote it. Yes, he's only 21, and it's his 11th opera. Incredible. And he was called in at the last minute because the impresario of the theater needed someone because the prior composer had fallen through. I mean, the, these theaters had dates and they needed operas, or if an opera had failed, you needed one sooner. There was tremendous pressure. So to that end, he used a pre-existing libretto. This libretto was predominantly written by Angelo Anelli, who had written it for a different composer in 1808, so just a few years before this 1813 premiere of this opera. Same story different composer. That was actually not an unusual practice at this time because it's not like there was a CD put out right away and everyone was listening to it. People could experience operas fresh, even if some of the material was old, reused, recycled. In fact, um, one of the things that makes this different from other operas is he was not reusing much from other works that he had created. Lots of his operas, think of Barber of Seville, it has a beloved overture. It was the fourth opera for which that piece of music served as the overture, which is amazing. But he was able to get away with it. And some people noticed, but mostly people just loved his music. It's amazing. It is amazing. And there's the fact that this is pretty much all fresh and he was able to produce it so quickly is yeah. remarkable. Well, he, he once told someone, another composer, that nothing focuses the mind so much and provides inspiration 
as knowing that there's someone waiting right there to, to grab your page and take it to the copyist and hand it to the musicians. A lot of his operas were not completed till the day of opening night. I think a lot of us operate like that. Unless there's a deadline, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and I, I work that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I didn't work as well as Rossini. <laughs> All right, back to our story. Well, next we're actually going to hear from the love interest of Lindoro, Isabella. The titular Italian girl, Italian woman, is going to make her appearance. Isabella and she is lamenting her cruel fate. She says, my reward for constancy is this. I'm, I'm in terror. I'm in anguish. And the constancy, by the way, is her love for Lindoro that has taken her out on the seas where she becomes victim and captive. But then she has a change in perspective and she becomes much yes. more self-possessed, a, a woman in charge. And she, she says, I know how to tame men, whether they are sweet or rough or passionate, they are all the same. <laughs> they all demand it. All they want is a woman's beauty. So she takes control of the situation, takes control of her own, of herself and decides, you know what? I can handle this and I can manage this man. Which is amazing because you've got this whole chorus of eunuchs in the background singing, she's going to be a tasty morsel for Mustafa. And needless to say, Ali is thrilled when he hears that an Italian girl has literally washed up on the shores because Mustafa didn't just say, go get me an Italian girl. He said, you got six days or I will impale you. And he wanted a challenge. Oh, yeah. And here she is. Like I said, be careful what you ask for. Don't you run? Don't 
Isabella. She's a determined woman. She's going to make her fate what she wants it to be, not what all these men want it to be. But let's back up for one second, because how is it that Isabella and <laughs> Lindoro both end up in Algeria? That's operatic coincidence. <laughs> They're both shipwrecked. But what, how did this happen? Well, I mean... We're not 100% sure they're shipwrecked or they are captured. These are pirate-infested waters. That part doesn't matter. But they both wind up as captives. But because Lindoro talks about having long been separated from his homeland, from his love. So she's, in fact, gotten on a ship to look for her beloved. I mean, this is a spunky woman. She has decided, I'm going to not just bemoan my fate. Before we even meet her, she's taken her fate into her own hands. I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to look around because I know these are treacherous areas and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out where Lindoro is. Now, she doesn't know initially that she's in fact landed in the place where he is. Also, she's not alone. She has a companion, an elderly companion, an Italian man, Tadeo. Who is also in love with her because this is a complex love triangle. Triangle's too simple of a shape. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. She's this happy-ish for the company, but there's no love that she's sending Tadeo's way. But, but he is a compatriot. He is a fellow Italian, and that's very clear. But pretty soon after she's gathered her resolve in the song that we just heard, we, we have an interaction between Isabella and Tadeo, once they are trying to figure out what next to do with themselves, and they've encountered Ali, this head of the Corsairs, this head privateer pirate who is also a henchman for Mustafa. And he's explained, listen, little lady, you are the Italian woman I need, and I'm going to put you in the seraglio. And Tadeo says that he is... Isabella's uncle and it's how he is able to stay with her and not become enslaved himself. Yes, because then he's a favored person. But of course, it wasn't Tadeo's idea. Isabella says, you're my uncle. He's my uncle. Sure. Yeah, that's it. This, of course, is also after he had just confessed to being a jealous admirer and being in love with her. Yes. Well, why else would he follow her into these pirate infested waters? <laughs> And, and there's a magnificent little interaction between the two of them, a duet, where she's kind of had it with him. You're a jealous admirer, and I'm over it. Just back off. Be helpful if you can. I'm not looking for bad things to befall you, but stop pestering me. Comprendo, comprendo, tutto 
Isabella and Tadeo, her companion, in The Italian Girl by Giacchino Rossini. And that was a peppy little tune for two people squabbling in a foreign country where they've been captured, but that's bel canto for you. And so here we have Ali, who's about to tell us that he has this Italian woman here. Amazing. That she suddenly (laughs) appeared, the woman that he's been looking for. Yes. But before that, we hear the eunuchs. Yes. And they are singing the praises of Mustafa and that he knows how to tame women. And actually this is, this was my role. I was in the harem. And so in the scene that I was in, we had the eunuchs standing behind, I think there were about seven supernumeraries and we were doing this sort of downward dog dance, if you know yoga. Yeah. Um, And the eunuchs were standing behind us, whipping us. Oh dear. And the, the lyrics say, Long live the scourge of all women who changes them from tigresses into lambs. Anyone who cannot tame these beauties come to school from the great Mustafa. Unbelievable. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm trying to picture this because the two versions I saw had nothing like that. But it really is emphasizing the domination, the power over the women. Yes. And it was very silly because... Every, I don't know exactly, the downbeat in the music was when the eunuchs would whip the women. Ugh. Youch. Youch. And that's how we set the scene for Isabella to meet Mustafa. And what a contradiction here, because here they're talking about the domination of women, yet Mustafa is looking for a woman who's a challenge, who's a little more difficult, who cannot be dominated. Yeah, the compliance of his own wife was boring to him. A turn off. Well, Emily, I don't want to bring back any old trauma for you. (laughs) But I think we should hear this piece that the eunuchs sing and we'll picture the scene you just described. But uh, it's an interesting song as well. The the rhythm is is forefront. It almost sounds martial to me uh, in terms of how they're encouraging their leader. Yeah, it's like a march almost. Right, that he's going into battle. (laughs) 
I can't thank you enough for giving us that vision of this scene as the, the eunuchs are cheering on Mustafa. And by the way, everyone, you missed what I got to enjoy while the music was playing. Emily showed me some pictures of her costume in the performance. What a lovely harem woman you were. Oh, I thank you. You know, I learned a new word researching this opera. Do you know what an, an odalisque is? No. Well, you've probably seen pictures of it. Some of the great artists, Angra, for example, it's this mostly naked woman who may or may not be showing the front, may just be showing the back of her to you, lounging in this lovely Turkish-looking scene. And oftentimes, the part that you play would be referred to as an odalisque. It's this, it starts out as a chambermaid in the harem, but then the term comes to mean the women of the harem. That's so interesting because actually one of the supernumeraries had to wear a naked suit. So it was a a nude jumpsuit of sorts and it made it look like she was naked. Oh, wow. And so that must have been her role. Well, yes, yes. I mean, the Nautilus didn't have to be naked, but it's part of that exotic eroticism that the Europeans enjoyed with these distant peoples or who seem distant to them at this time. I mean, it's not unusual for opera to choose subjects and settings which are exotic because it allows the imagination to run wild. But this is kind of a mix of both. It's it's exotic and it's also close to home because it's it's focused on this Italian woman, this Italian man, and trying to get back together with one another and get home to Italy. And actually, this is the moment when they first reunite. It's when Lindoro and Isabella realize that they are both in Algeria. Yes, they're both there. She's just been introduced to Mustafa and she has to size him up and she does and decides, I got this. I can take this man. He is not going to be a problem. So that confidence that we heard early on, she has that reinforced when she meets him and Mustafa is just besotted. But when Isabella and Lindoro see each other, they are taken aback. They can barely contain their excitement. Oh, heavens, what do I see? They think they're delirious. Is this really happening? And it just spirals. The excitement spirals from there. Absolutely. Because he comes in, like, why does he come into this intimate scene between Mustafa and his new conquest, or so he hopes? Well, Lindoro comes in with Zulma and Elvira, the soon-to-be ex-wife of Mustafa, and they've come to say their goodbyes. And it's an inopportune or opportune moment for them all to be on stage. Oh, my God. 
for everyone a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable accessible and enjoyable for everyone opera for everyone airs sundays from 9 to 11 a.m mountain time on 89.1 khol wyoming's only community radio station if you'd like to hear more conversations about opera please subscribe to the opera for everyone podcast and if you subscribe rate and review us you'll be helping with our mission to bring opera to everyone by helping others to find this show. Stay with us. The second half of today's show is coming right up. back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and I am joined today by Emily Cohen from KHOL and 
opera supernumerary fame. Great to be here, especially talking about my very first opera, L'Italiana in Algeria. What's the first one you performed in? First one I performed in, that's correct. I don't even know what my first opera that I saw was, but this was probably number two. That's spectacular. I mean, just from Opera for Everyone to KHOL, thank you for all of your support. Well, it's been pretty fun to have your show on the airwaves. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we go any further with our story, I'd like to just take a moment and thank the people responsible for this music that we've been listening to. This is a recording that was made in Florence in 1963 with the orchestra and chorus of Maggio Musical Fiorentino under the direction of Silvio Varviso, the choir director Adolfo Fanfani. In the role of Isabella, we have Teresa Berganza, Lindoro, sung by Luigi Alva, Mustafa, the Bay, Fernando Correno, Tadeo, Isabella's companion, is Rolanda Panarai, Elvira, Giuliana Tavalacini, Zulma, Miti Trucato Pace, and Ali, Paolo Montarsolo. Thank you one and all for this beautiful music. Oh, what a treat. And thanks, Rossini. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Emily, this is your first time on Opera for Everyone. Um, it's Opera Helmet quiz time. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't be nervous. You'll be great. This is where you bring us all up to date. What happened in the first half of our show? Oh, boy. A complex love triangle we have here. So we have Mustafa, the Bay of Algeria, and his wife, Elvira. And Mustafa is really tired of his wife. He's tired of his harem. And he's looking for some excitement. He wants a challenge. <laughs> yes. And lo and behold, an Italian woman, Isabella, arrives. She has how been- How convenient. How convenient. <laughs> she has been searching for her lover. Her lover is Lindoro, a tenor, a beautiful tenor. And she's been looking for him because they've been separated. He was taken captive by either pirates or he was shipwrecked. It's a little unclear. Doesn't really matter. But they've been separated for many, who knows how long. They've been separated. And Isabella is uh, looking for Lindoro. And both of them happen to land in the same place, in Mustafa's palace. And it's this surprise because Mustafa was so excited. He finally got this difficult Italian woman that, <laughs> that he wanted to be tamed by. He didn't want to be with all these submissive women. He wanted a challenge for himself. And here comes Isabella, who is exactly that, a challenging woman. Mm. And, uh, and then also Lindoro is there. And they're so surprised to see each other. And they're reunited but have to be kind of sly and secret about it. Mustafa is trying to get rid of his wife, Elvira, and so he sets up his wife with Lindoro, saying mm. he doesn't want to deal with his wife anymore. Why don't you just take her back to Italy with you, and then you can go back home, and all will be fine in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's this Ali guy running around who... He's, he's a rough and tumble kind of guy in a, in a boofa sort of way in this opera, but you know, he was threatened with impalement if he didn't find the Italian woman that Mustafa wanted. And he also is threatening Tadeo periodically with impalement because he just doesn't like him. He thinks he's troublesome. But Tadeo was saved because he claimed to be the uncle of the beloved or the expected beloved of Mustafa, Isabella. But Tadeo is also in love with Isabella. So we have three men, Mustafa, Linduro, Tadeo, all in love with Isabella, the Italian woman. Yes. 
And the last song we just heard was this moment of recognition with Lindoro and Isabella when they realize, oh, you're the one I've been missing. Here, here you are. Here we are all in the same room. And now things are going to start to get particularly interesting. This is really the moment that Rossini most shines. Oh, it's spectacular. I honestly, I, I said to this to you before we started recording, if I was going to have to pick one piece to play from this opera, it would be this piece, this finale to act one, this septet. All of our named characters are singing all at once. It's pandemonium, honestly. It's as if the Three Stooges wrote an opera libretto. <laughs> yes. yes. So part of what's going on here is you've got Zulma and Lindora and Elvira, who all came in together to say their goodbyes, they are having a great time because they realize what a fool Mustafa is looking like in front of this Isabella, who's just playing him like a fiddle. And they all, all of the seven of them on stage, sing about their brain whirling and like they're getting ready for a shipwreck in their head, but they express it in a very interesting way. And they're, they're singing in, in nonsense, essentially, singing onomatopoeias, you know, ding, ding, and cra, cra, and boom, boom, and just losing their minds. Yeah, it's a great way of conveying the, the craziness and confusion of this entire scene, and it's just pure Rossini magic.
definitely a big finish to act one. <laughs> yes, we almost need a break from that. That just was pure chaos. Well, that's why they invented intermission. But right. <laughs> we are in the second half here and we are going to charge on with act two which opens in a similar way to act one with the chorus of the eunuchs. We're not going to listen to them right now, but it is such a contrast to the things that the eunuchs have been saying up to now, where they've been telling women to just accept their lot. They were created for suffering. Don't get too upset about it. It's just how life is. And then cheering on Mustafa. But now they're calling him an idiot, a fool. Love has caught him and brought him to his knees, they say. They're mocking him. It's a, a little bit of role reversal here. Totally. And Elvira, Zulma, and Ali, these people under the thumb of Mustafa, they're admiring the work that Isabella has done to humiliate Mustafa. Mustafa doesn't entirely realize yet that he's been humiliated, though. Yeah, everybody's kind of amazed and impressed at Isabella and, and her abilities yeah. to, to turn the tables around, so to speak. She said she would. And Mustafa wants uh, to invite Isabella for coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Zulma and Elvira, they play along. They said, we'll do whatever, whatever you want. We're going to help you in this. But that's just what they're saying. It's not really what they mean. Because they know that the one really in charge is Isabella. Yes, they've observed it all. They can see very clearly what's going on. Well, once that bit of the plot is set up, we have a moment with Isabella and Lindoro together. Yeah, and it's, it's a tense moment, actually, because mm. Isabella is upset. She thinks that Lindoro's actually betrayed her and that he is really going to marry Elvira and run away to Italy. And she's upset and worried that he's no longer in love with her. Look at all the trouble she's gone to, to rescue him. By the way, this is considered a rescue opera, which is a very common format for an opera to have. But what's uncommon is it's the woman who's rescuing the man. As far as I know, it's only Fidelio, Beethoven's opera, of a, of slightly later than this, where the woman goes to rescue the man. Um, spoiler alert, she will be successful ultimately, but right now they've got to get through this little rocky patch where she says, what, you, you've decided to marry this other beautiful woman? You've got me, buddy. What were you thinking? And he's, Lindoro here is trying to assuage her fears. He says, may a thunderbolt strike me dead if I ever thought to betray our love. So he's trying to calm her and say, no, this is just a charade. Isabella, I really do love you and I am going to be with you. And we're all rooting for him because we heard that song that he sang in the beginning of the opera about how much he loves her. And he is persuasive. Thank goodness. They don't really get a love song, but he at least persuades her that his love is true. And she says, okay, then you got to follow my plan. She's still the woman in charge. The next song that we're about to hear, Lindoro is relieved that he has assuaged her fears. He's calm. He knows that Isabella understands the plan and everything is, is looking like all right in the world. There's hope.
Michael Andoro is happy, but we've got some other characters we need to visit now. Mustafa and Tadeo encounter one another, and Mustafa, who says, well, you're the uncle of Isabella. You seem upset. What could possibly be wrong? And Tadeo, is, he's been threatened. His life is at risk. <laughs> yes. He's scared that he's going to be killed by Ali. Ali, who scowls at him pretty much throughout the opera. Exactly. And he's, and he's kind of a hapless, twittery man, Tadeo, anyway. He's really fooling himself as if he thinks that he might win the affections of Isabella. But he does fool himself. And here, Mustafa says, I have the perfect solution so you will no longer need to fear anyone in the land. I'm going to bestow you with a great honor. That's the honor of Kaimakan, and it is governor. He he has a, a title now, and he's going to be protected. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, when we have an announcement like this, we're going to need a little bit of reinforcement from that chorus of eunuchs. everyone and we're listening to L'Italiana in Algérie by Rossini. Emily, I'm so glad you're here to help me with this opera. Just wonderful to hear your observations on the opera, but even more special to hear about your experiences in it. It's really fun to reflect on this. It's been almost 20, 20 years since I was in this opera. So it's, uh, it's, it's a fun memory and I love revisiting this music because it really was my introduction to opera. Oh, that's great. That Well, I mean, you can't do better than Rossini. Well, there are some other ones that are awfully good, but Rossini is often what I'll turn to when people say, where should I start with opera? It's, it's accessible and fun. It really is. But it's interesting because it's accessible, but it also has great depth. All right. We have just heard the excitement of this choral hurrah about Tadeo becoming Kaima Khan, this governor, this elevated position that'll protect him in Algeria. And Tadeo doesn't know if he wants the honor. He doesn't know if he wants the honor, but the, the chorus is trying to make it sound amazing, saying that this is what you need. You're going to have the strength of a lion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Tadeo kind of goes, well, I guess I get away from that whole impalement threat. I mean, it's strange comedy, but comedy. So, but now we're coming to the moment when Isabella is going to be taking coffee or having coffee with Mustafa. So she must prepare. Yes, and she there's a lot of kind of sleight of hand here. She refers to Lindoro as her slave. Lindoro is her lover, but in this case, he's her slave. And he says, I'm at your service. And, you know, she's asking for three cups of coffee. And, right. and Alvira, Mustafa's wife, says... Three, but Mustafa wants to have coffee with you, Isabella, alone. Right, right. And Isabella's like, sister, <laughs> follow my lead. I want to teach you a few things. And she's, she's like, you know, men, they're, they're moldable. It's really the women who create the husbands. You are in charge. You can manage this. And so Isabella is trying to teach Elvira a lesson or two here. Right. It's, it's fantastic. There's this one line where she says, well... 
those who act like lambs will be eaten as sheep. She says, get strong, my friend Elvira. You can win your husband back. I have no interest in him, really. She doesn't go as far as to say that, but it's pretty clear that that's where she's headed. And she just tells her to hide yourself. Pay attention to how I handle this man. You will learn from me. Which is a great sideways echo of what was said in the first act by the chorus saying Mustafa will teach other men how to behave with women. So in this scene, we have not only Elvira and her maid Zulma hiding and observing, but we're going to have three other people observing her preparations and her out loud thoughts about what's to come. We have Mustafa, Tadeo, and Linduro, the three men who have uh, crushes, I guess, is really the best (laughs) word for it. They desire her. They (laughs) desire Isabella, and they are all watching her prepare for this encounter and each having their own interpretation. Right, and she knows she's being watched, so she's doing and saying things to get Mustafa all hot and bothered, get Tadeo to think that she's behaving this way on his behalf, and Lindora is just marveling at what a woman she is because he knows that she loves him just as he loves her. Mustafa is just so excited about this moment. He's beside himself. (laughs) He's going to be alone with Isabella. And he gives this order of sorts that when he sneezes, that's the sign that everyone else is supposed to get up and go, that Tadeo should leave the room. And this is going to be his moment alone. But it doesn't work out quite like he hoped. (laughs) No, Tadeo is supposed to be a wingman. But as we said, Tadeo is... very smitten with Isabella, and he's not going to leave her in Mustafa's clutches. Mustafa keeps sneezing and sneezing, and every time he sneezes, Tadeo ignores. It's spectacular. Ignores him. Yes.
So Tadeo has failed to act on the, the secret signal of the achu, the sneeze, and he's stayed put. But everyone else has stayed put as well. And at this point, Isabella makes it very clear that she is inviting Elvira to join them for coffee. And Mustafa says, no, that's not the plan. Well, Isabella says, you've got to be kind to your wife. You think you can entrance me by being wretched to this other woman? No, that will not work. You must be kind. And Mustafa's having none of it. We transition to another scene with Ali. And Ali has some observations to make. Ali's commenting on how Italian women are so different from the women of, of his country, of Algeria. And he's saying they're easygoing, they're artful, they know how to make themselves loved. And he's just admiring them. Yes, it's an interesting moment here, I think, in the whole construction of this opera, because it's been very clear that Isabella and Lindoro are both very proud of being Italians. Their goal is to reconnect with one another, return back to Italy. But we're going to see a a shift that I believe starts here and moves on and becomes more intense about a real pride, patriotism, I'm not sure. I mean, Ali obviously is not Italian, but he's speaking with such admiration about Italian women. There's, there's a lot of Italian pride. And this is not just random thoughts that Italians have about themselves being presented in this opera. This is a point in time in Italy. This is 1813 when it premieres. 1808 was the original opera. And Italy has been of late at that time and will continue to be for another half century, almost, partially dominated by foreign powers. So this assertion of the importance and the, the strength of the Italian people is important to Rossini. It's important to the librettist. And it comes through in this buffa opera, but it's a serious point that's being made here. And it's being made by unexpected people, not just the Italians, but also by Ali in this case. Because everyone admires the gifts and the strengths of the Italians. And in this case, particularly the Italian women, or woman. So true.
Italian women and one in particular. But now we're going to have two other men talking about a woman, the woman, Isabella. Tadeo runs into Lindoro, his fellow countryman, and says, Oh, I think I know what's going on. You're trying to get Isabella out of the clutches of the bay, out of Mustafa's clutches. And this is when Lindoro lets him in on the plan. Yes. And it's also when Lindoro realizes that Tadeo is not really Isabella's uncle. No, no. Lindoro figures that out because Tadeo tells him, but Tadeo also says, I'm the guy she's in love with. Of course, I'm going to help you do anything I can to rescue. We'll all go back to Italy. That's where we all want to be. So there's no suspicion on Tadeo's part that Lindoro is, in fact, the man that she loves. He still believes that she loves Tadeo. But Lindoro isn't threatened by this no. in any way. He knows that <laughs> he has Isabella's heart. Yes. <laughs> and he just plays along with this because, really, he's got his eyes on the big prize, which is to get back to Italy yes. with his love, Isabella. That's right. So they basically are hatching a plan together, but Lindoro has... A secondary plan, which is to really not even let Tadeo in on. He'll give him a ride back to Italy, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Mustafa is still a little ticked off about how things went with his coffee tete-a-tete gone awry. And when he encounters the other two men, he lets them know that, like, guys, you need to help me out of this. And they want to just assuage his fears because they have their goal in mind, which is to bring Isabella back to Italy. And so they they say, look, she still loves you. Yes. She She's told me to tell you that she's deeply in love. And in fact, we want to bestow upon you a great honor. Yes, that sounds a little familiar. <laughs> we we pacified uh, Tadeo by making him Kaimakan. And now we have Linduro and Tadeo pacifying Mustafa by making him a Papatachi. A papatachi. It's a fake title of sorts. And the next song we're going to hear talks about this papatachi title and, and what it actually means.
I think more than any other shows what a fool Mustafa is. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> because he's, you know, normally when you get a title and you're given some sort of distinction, it comes with land or authority or something of import that will advance you in society. Mm. And here they're explaining what a papatachi means and, and what it actually gives you. And it's, they're saying papatachi has to eat. He has to sleep. He has to drink. The basics of, of living and, and, and the pleasures of life, but really, it, it gives you no great distinction. No, and he, he has to not ever complain about anything. He has to just be quiet. Tachi means be quiet. And in <laughs> fact, I looked this up to see, like, I thought this was made up, but well, there's, a, there's this Papatachi virus that you can get that it's named this because it means gobble up and stay silent. And that's essentially eat and be quiet is what they're telling him. Just be content with what you have. And now we have Linduro explaining to Tadeo how this plan is going to work. They're going to have some of the Italian slaves, some of the Italian sailors, go and return with the ship at night dressed as Papatachi. And this is how they're going to trick Mustafa into letting them leave. Yes, it's all these Italians who are affecting great contentment and feeling honor of having this role of Papatachi. So he's, he's among good company here, or is how it's going to seem. And Lindoro, after he explains the plan, just marvels at how amazing and wonderful and capable Isabella is. And Isabella in this next scene is then also singing about her patriotism and her loyalty to Italy. Pensa a la patria. Think of your homeland and fearlessly fulfill your duty, see throughout Italy examples of courage and valor. Well, remember how I said that we were headed this direction? This is the great patriotic anthem that she sings. And it may or may not surprise you to know that at certain productions in certain places where the foreign powers were still holding sway in Italy, this this was excised from the opera. It was banned. It was deemed to be too inflammatory. Mm. You know, we think of, in terms of opera composers, I anyway think of Verdi with all of the efforts he made. And he was more involved politically than Rossini, but here it is in this Rossini opera, very much an urging of the Italians to assert their own strength and potentially independence against foreign overlords. And it's it's this assertion from Isabella that Linduro admires so much. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, well, you can understand why he finds her to be wonderful. He likes a strong woman. Yeah.
Isabella, the Italian girl herself, the Italian woman, not only hatching and seeing through a plan, but giving a world-class pep talk to all of these enslaved men who are around her, because she is the one Italian woman amongst all these Italian men. And by the end of it, the chorus of Italian slaves sing, you will see how brave we Italians are when it comes to the test. In this opera, the test is not so great. They're more crafty than having to fight in battle, but they are brave in making an escape. But before that escape happens, we have to see how this all plays out. Will Mustafa really just eat and be quiet? Who knows? Well, we know. So here's when they give him the opportunity to eat and be quiet. So they bring out this table of food, of spaghetti, as was the case in the opera production that I was in. Uh It was a table of full of spaghetti, and Mustafa doesn't know how to eat spaghetti. The noodles are long. The pasta sauce is messy. How do do you eat this thing? And he is just covered in tomato sauce. Oh, no. Spaghetti's flying everywhere. (laughs) But he's enjoying himself. 
but it's certainly a scene of chaos. It's a scene of chaos which follows this oath-taking that is administered by Tadeo. Tadeo tells him what he must do to be inducted into the order of the Papatachi, to see a Nazi, to hear but not hear, to eat, to enjoy, ignore what's done or said. And that's what he solemnly promises to do. And they even threaten him that if you break your oath, you will become unmanned. And so therefore, Mustafa eats, and he eats with relish. (laughs) Yes, with gusto. I think after every performance I was in, I went home and I made a bowl of pasta. Ah, but I bet you didn't fling it everywhere and get spaghetti sauce all over your body. Not quite, but it was. <laughs> I ate a lot of pasta during that production, I must say. And so while Mustafa's distracted eating, in a mess in his plate of food, covered in pasta sauce, <laughs> yes. here we have the ship pull up, ready to, to take the Italian captives and sail back to Italy. Yes, I mean, this is the plan that Isabella crafted, and she got all the men to help carry out. All the Italians just want to be gone. They want to be back in Italy. I mean, it means an end to enslavement, so that's a good thing as well. Again, something that was actually going on at the time, I read a comment that Lord Byron, the Lord Byron, went and saw this show, and he said that one of the singers, one of the women in the performance, was someone who had at one time been held captive by the Corsairs, by by these pirates, privateers, and had been ransomed and freed. So to me, it's a little mind-boggling that this is buffa, it's silliness, and it is played for laughs, particularly when you see it now and, and when it was first played, let's be honest. But this was happening to people. But we have a very satisfying conclusion here, because there those sailors are, going and getting the boat ready. There's enough of them left to lull Mustafa into a sense of security. And Isabella is quietly getting everyone out. And it's Tadeo who spills the beans to Mustafa. Because Tadeo feels betrayed because he didn't fully realize that it was Isabella who was actually in love with Lindoro and not him. Yes. And he says, my lord, we've been tricked. We've been fooled. Mustafa, however, holds on to the oath that he made. He's still under the the spell, and he says, but I'm a papatachi. I must eat and be silent. And so he does. And today, we get to hear his thought process. He says, well, I could stay here. Even though I'm a Kaimakan, I might be impaled. And ultimately, he decides probably better back in Italy, even if he doesn't have Isabella's love. And they welcome him, of course. So that leaves one little piece yet to tie up. Poor Elvira. What's going to happen to her? Elvira reasserts her love for Mustafa and says she will always be loving, submissive, and good. And she wishes the Italians well on their journey. And uh, she's, she's back with her husband. Well, isn't that tidy? <laughs> <laughs> Only an opera. Very tidy. Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to swallow the whole uh, bay being fooled that simply. But, you know, there was an Italian woman. There was a story that was going around about a woman from Milan who had been captured. And somehow or another, by concocting stories, she managed her own escape without anyone coming to her rescue. And that was a little bit of the inspiration behind that original libretto here. So not entirely fictitious, mostly. <laughs> and, 
and the opera ends with everybody singing the praises of the beautiful Italian girl who came to Algiers. She taught the jealous and arrogant lovers that she could outwit them all. Yeah. Well, you started off by telling us this had to do with female empowerment. That's true. But also, I'd say Italian empowerment. That's right. Well, Emily Cohen, executive director of KHOL, my beloved KHOL, thank you so much for joining me on Opera for Everyone. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Yes.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Opera for Everyone. If you missed any of today's show, you can find this episode and many others on your favorite podcast app under Opera for Everyone. And while you're there, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It helps others to find us. Opera for Everyone airs every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL Jackson, Wyoming. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable. Because we believe opera is for everyone.